Podcasting from a sex writing cave from somewhere in the middle of the internet, this is The Smut Lancer, a weekly podcast where we discuss creating content about sex and getting paid to do it. The Smut Lancer podcast is hosted by me, Kayla Lords, and Molly Moore. We're two sex bloggers who have more ideas than time in the day. If this is your first time listening, glad to have you. If you're back for another week, welcome back. The Smut Lancer podcast is produced weekly, except during those times when we finally admit we need a break. Show notes are found at thesmutlancer.com. When you're ready to take your smut lancing career to a new level, join the Smut Lancers community on Patreon. For as little as $5 per month, you can ask questions, get answers, and interact with an entire community of other people who do what you do and want to get paid to do it too. Head to patreon.com slash the smut lancers to learn more. Hello, everybody. Kayla Lords here with my favorite and best work wife and partner mm-hmm. okay maybe not mm-hmm. partner Ooh, john brownstone might get mad work wife partner molly yeah. moore <laughs> hi molly hi please don't anybody tell john brownstone i just like bumped him to number two because i didn't wait no I no didn't. Pa- i didn't <laughs> we're pa- we're partners in smart rings. yes we're work wife that's partners. what you meant yes, yes. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. fine. It's we, fine. We I'll, 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 I'll sweet talking fairies. Okay. I'll confess fine. before this episode ever comes out. That's how we roll. <laughs> uh, we are back with our monthly mailbag Q&A, but we decided to do things a little differently this time. It's one of those uh-huh. times. Let's take a writer advice. Let us show, not tell. So yeah. we talk about every month that we... We, and I mean this in the general Smutlancer community, we, not just Molly and myself, we see and get and receive and answer a lot of questions from the Smutlancer community. And those questions are always good. Even even if sometimes it's a question that got asked a few months ago, people come at it with a different Mm -hmm. perspective or it's new members and they're still getting the information. And so a lot of questions get asked. So we thought for this September mailbag, we would take questions that were asked in our Ask Anything channel in Slack. Mm-hmm. We've stripped the names off of them. So nobody, you know, whoever asked it, we're not talking about that. And we actually only took questions because we're recording on August 20th. These are just the questions we got in the first 20 days of the month. Now, we're going to do this as rapid fire, okay? So you will get an answer, but it will not be a 20-minute answer. Some of y'all are like, thank God. Oh, my God. So this is a lot. This is, one, to give you this knowledge that you might not otherwise have. Two, to show you what is possible. So is this a gigantic ad for the Smutlancers community? Yes. Yes, the fuck it is. Okay, disclaimer all over the place. Hey, last episode, I said we were leaning hard into we are a community, come join our community. So if you've ever wondered, if you ever thought, oh, oh, they're full of shit, all these questions, that's marketing speak. Uh, we got you here. Just, just wait. So the thing to know about these questions is we are giving rapid fire answers here, but I was scrolling and scrolling and scrolling because this was multiple people coming in and answering and having a conversation and working it out. And then it was leading to other conversations and it was just amazing. So I, so I think there are some of these answers that we're going to give that are going to be, as we said, like rapid fire. If you were part of the patron community and had asked that question you would have got a more detailed answer exactly. um 
But obviously, we don't want to turn each one of these questions essentially into an episode. No, no, no. Y'all don't want <laughs> so, that. Okay. So, right. but you will get the information here courtesy of our amazing, amazing community members and the brilliant questions they ask. Let me, it's just a sampling. This is a 20-day slice of what this yeah. is like. Okay. So, I will read and then one of us or both of us will answer. Uh, first question, how do I easily use or add a blog meme badge like Sinful Sunday to a blog post when I'm participating in a meme? Do you want me, so, do you want me to do that? Yeah, okay, she's making a face. Um, so lots of people, myself included, provide a um, code, like an HTML code. Um, that you will often find either in the footer of that meme or if you're looking on a desktop sidebar, some people have it on a dedicated page. You can copy that um, text, that code, and you need to insert it. So if you're using the classic editor, you need to swap so that your post looks like HTML and insert it at that point and then flip back to visual and it should show. If you're using... Um, Gutenberg, then you would need to do it in a custom HTML box and it should just show. However, you, I, if it was me doing it, the problem with that is it can potentially slow your page down because your Simple Sunday badge, let's use that as an example, won't load on your page until Simple Sunday kind of has to deliver it to you. Because essentially I am then host, holding and hosting that badge for you. And so I, my, Simple Sunday needs to respond and deliver it to your page. So it can actually slow your page down Your um, how quickly it um, is shown to people. And so to optimize things, uh, the way I would do it is I would go to whoever's meme it was. We're talking about Simple Sunday. Go to Simple Sunday, right click, save the badge as an image, upload it to my image gallery on my site. You take the Simple Sunday URL and embed that into the image on my site and then I am hosting the image as the badge on my site and I've just linked made the image clickable so that you click back that will get you a faster better optimized badge on your site and it means you're not every single time you're participating in that same mean running back to that page copying yes. that code running back you've got it's it there. it's there yeah. it's the easiest one uh -huh. okay uh -huh. the next question i definitely have a thought on this i think i answered it in yeah, slack definitely your one how long should i run a giveaway for uh it is up to you but if i'm saying <laughs> it i'm gonna run a giveaway anywhere from two to four weeks i have done longer i don't love longer i've not done shorter because i don't like shorter two to four weeks to me is a great amount of time because it gives you time to promote it um, and it gives people time to enter. And if you um, run your giveaways the way most of us do, it isn't just to give something away. It's to help grow your Twitter. It's to help grow your news subscriber, newsletter subscribers or whatever. So the longer you can give to promote that and get it in front of people, the other thing is uh, just because you promoted it on a Monday, let's say to your blog, to your Twitter feed, to your whatever, does not mean everybody who follows you saw it that day so the more chances you can give yourself to promote it the more chances you give for everybody who follows you to see it and decide if they want to enter and then you increase your entries which then increases the benefits that you are receiving from having the giveaway okay 
Next question. I'm going to let Molly answer it. How do I block an IP address in my blog? Now, let me interject with why you might. You've got a spammer, you've got a stalker, you've got a personal, a person in your life who has found your sex blog and you're like, oh shit, I don't want them looking at this. There are all kinds of reasons you might block an IP address because you don't want that person to be able to get to your blog. Molly, how do you do that? So the short answer is you do it through WordFence. Um, and I'm not going to give you a full breakdown on how to do that because we'd be here. Um, so you should just be able to, if you Googled um, blocking IP address through WordFence, you'll get a, an explanation. If not, um, feel free to, you know, ask, DM, whatever. But you can do it through WordFence. It's not hugely complicated. No, and WordFence, WordFence is a good security plugin to have in your site to begin with. For all kinds of reasons, that is one of them. So if you've got somebody that you don't want accessing your site, accessing your site, you have a little bit more control than you realize, and blocking their IP address is a way. And yes, it can be done. Mm-hmm. WordFence. I've used WordFence for this several times. So It is not, one thing to bear in mind, though, is it is not a solution forever and a day because most people's IP addresses change um, over time. So even your home IP address uh, usually um your um, service provider will sometimes just change them. And so it will be different. And if that happens, then obviously that person could maybe visit again. And of course, you can only block it um, on that sense. Like if somebody, if it's a situation with an individual that you, yes, you may be able to work out what their IP address is, say at home, but then obviously if they then go out of the home and are using data or go to someone else's home. So it's only as good as that in that moment. Yeah. But yes, I've certainly done it. Mm-hmm. I have played the whack-a-mole of blocking IP addresses yeah. before. Um, and it was stressful and it was imperfect. And thankfully, eventually that person finally just decided to stop coming to my site. And the problem is to block an IP address, you either have to know the IP address ahead of time or they have to visit your site and then you can, with the help of WordFence, get that information. And so it is, if you're in that situation, it can become stressful. Um, but it it is a band-aid to an imperfect solution in a stressful situation. Okay. Uh, question. I created a cloned site, a subdomain to change the look of my site, you know, per the advice that Molly and Michael have given several times. The question is, should I get rid of that subdomain or keep it? And what's funny is I know the answer Molly's going to give, and I actually said something different um, because I felt differently about it. But I'll, I'll, Molly, you give the correct answer, and then I'll say what I said. <laughs> uh, the answer is that once you are done with it, and be sure that you are done with it before you do this, because otherwise you could have done a lot of hard work and. Uh, then be like, oh, I've definitely finished with it and delete it and then be like, oh, shit, I still wanted it. Um, I wish I'd never done that. Um, is that you should actually get rid of it because it, in theory, could be a security flaw because are you going to continue to update the plugins or the blah, 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 blah. You're not. It's just going to sit there and nothing's happened to it and you could end up becoming a backdoor into your website and so don't do that so once you are definitely done with it that you have used it you've 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 built your new website everything's happy you've moved it across i would say don't like on the day you move it across 
delete it then because oh my goodness you move it across and then the next day I, I can't even think what something goes awry or you suddenly realize that actually you want to do a bit more that da 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 da, da you're going to be like Fuck, I wish I'd never deleted it because now I kind of got to start over in another subdomain so I would say give it a couple of weeks would be fine give it a couple of weeks to sit there till you are absolutely sure that you are done with it that you have done all the work there that you want to do and then blow it away and the answer i gave was no keep it so if you want to make other changes in the future but i am a chronic uh <laughs> website changer too so i think that if you're like but wait i want to keep it because what if i make changes then you then have to commit to updating it and keeping the plugins updated and blah 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 so if you don't want to do that, definitely take Molly's advice. Okay, a next question. This could absolutely be its own episode, so we're going to try to rapid fire it, but it could be. Any advice on writing a personal bio or blurb that's not your about page? We've got many, many pieces of content on the Smut Lancer website about the about page, but this is that two to three, three to five sentence blurb that somebody will ask you for. I ask for them all the time. Hey, you're writing for the Smut Lancer site? I need your bio. I'm not going to lie. I think this is one of the hardest things to write. Um, I have thoughts, Molly. Do you want me to give my thoughts? Yeah. My thought is either, and you can do this either multiple ways, but two ways that come to mind. Write out everything about yourself. What do you do and what do you want to be known for? Now, some of that will be professional. I'm a podcaster, sex writer, content creator, smut lancer, right? Uh and also, I like I put in my bio where it's sex related. I'm a kinky person who's a submissive baby girl. Mm-hmm. To like, I add those things because to me they feel relevant. So you write. You can do one is to write out everything about yourself you would want people to know, and then edit mercilessly. If you are drawing a total blank, see if you if there's somebody in your sort of circle, sex writing, uh, smut lancery circle, or your community, uh, or the smut lancers community, and say that you feel has a grasp of who you are, like they're a close friend of yours, and say, would you could you help me with this? Because sometimes it is easier for us to look at somebody else, and even if we don't know all the details of what they do we can describe another person better than we can describe ourselves so if molly was ever like i am struggling here what do i say about myself i could rattle off three sentences right now um that she might not think of herself because i think for some of us it feels like bragging it feels like we're Uh pumping ourselves up and oh should we do that and then our imposter syndrome bites us in the ass yet again so if you have a lot to say and the problem is you don't know what to say write it all out, edit mercilessly. If you are drawing a blank, lean on somebody in your life that you trust. And then the third option is when in doubt, just be plain spoken and simple. Mm -hmm. Kayla is a sex blogger who overshares about her sex life. That can be a bio. And you can find her at also, if you ever just looking for a sentence to kind of fill out that bio, uh, you can find Kayla at at Kayla Lords on Twitter or KaylaLords.com. That's a whole sentence of a bio, y'all. Put that shit in. Let them know where to find you. So that is my answer to that one. Here's the next one. This one's for Molly. Should I do theme updates or not? So there's plugin <laughs> updates. There's WordPress updates. Also your theme. Should I do theme updates? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Do all the updates all the time. Because, again, the main because is security. Um, but also how it works, 
and how it works with the plugins and all the other things that you do, like WordPress updates. So for example, WordPress has just become 5.5, I think. Um, uh, your theme will almost instantly have chucked out a update because they will have done work on that theme to make sure that it is still compatible with the newer version of WordPress. Um, if you don't run those updates, gradually over time things will break until it will break in a way where you go, <laughs> where did it go? Um, so yes, do them. Run a backup before you run updates, whether that's plugins, whatever. Do I would always advise run your plugin updates one at a time because if you batch run them and one of them breaks something, you don't know which one it is because you just ran five plugins and so you've got to deactivate every single one and then do each one one at a time. Whereas actually if you do one, have a quick check that everything's fine, do the next one. It might seem like you're taking slightly longer but actually in the long run if one of them does fuck up, you'll be so glad you did it that way because it's so much harder to work backwards from that point, um, especially if it breaks it where you then have to go in through cPanel. Whoa. It's just avoiding that. Take those few extra minutes to avoid that would be my thing. So yes, always do the updates, run a backup before you do them, that just in case. Perfect. Next question. And I think this one's for me because I think this was a, a US kind of question yeah so this is an, an it go on I'll, I'll, you say the question any ideas on how to ship items without a p.o box without giving out your home address so in this country you can absolutely send something in the post without putting a return address on it that's obviously your risk um because then if it goes if it that doesn't get to its destination they don't know where to put it back but there's no requirement to put it on so you can absolutely ship something here and Nobody, the post office isn't going to say we haven't put a return address on it. Uh, that's up to you. So in the US, it's more, <laughs> so the risk is still the same. <laughs> if you manage to get it out and and it gets shipped, then they if there is a problem, they can't send it back to you because they don't know who to send it back to. Um, but post offices are funny and people at post offices are funny. So... If you were to, and I was, and I remember in the, the community chat, people were bringing this up. Um, in some places, they had tried to drop off a box at the post office, had no return address. Post office refused to take it. Um, I know for a, so that's, that's a rescue run. Um, I know for a fact that I have sent things without a return address and I got lucky that it got there, but you can't because I know here in the States that sometimes post offices and post and people at the post office will refuse to take the box or the shipment. It is possible that you could pop it in your outgoing mail. You could pop it in one of the blue boxes. You could slip it in a slot at the post office and it might just go out into the ether and never get there. Um, so it is because there's no guarantee and the risk. What I would say is depending on your area and of course, depending on your budget, Post office boxes, now I'm basing this on Florida prices. I always buy the smallest one because I just need the post office box address. I don't need the box. I'm not getting a lot of mail and I don't care. I don't need the, the packages I get to fit in the box. I just need the address. Um, the most I've paid in Florida for a year subscription or 
maybe it's not a subscription, a year price, yearly price mm-hmm. has been less than $100. That is less than $10 a month to have a post office box. Some of the sizes you can actually pay by the quarter. So it can be $30 or $35 to have that PO box. So if you are starting to want to send things out or receive things and you don't want them coming to your home address, it is one of those investments that can absolutely be worth it. You might have to save up for it. You might have to budget for it. It's not everybody's going to be able to do it all of the time. I get that. But it is a little bit like you're paying for your self-hosting. This is an expense that when you actually factor Mm -hmm. it out over time is less usually than you think it is. And it is a worthy investment. Like I started it at first because I didn't want sex toys come into the house and kink toys come into the house if they didn't have to with Kayla Lords written on it. I was keeping that name away from my kids. And so like if I have things come to my physical address, I... I have, I give my legal name and I have had an actual massive piece of BDSM furniture delivered to my house, which that was fun. Um, and so (laughs) it was easier and it was worth the investment. So yeah, not everybody can do it all at once. Um, I get that. You can't always just do it right when you want it, but it is sometimes cheaper than you think it is. So just keep that in mind too. Okay. Next question. Um, and I'll give an example after I ask this question so it's clear. The question was, should I use my, a name, basically a pseudonym, or my site's name when I comment on blog posts, either my blog post or other people? So let me give you the example. My sex blogger name is Kayla Lords. My se- my website is called, even though the URL is kaylalords.com, it's called a sexual being. So that would be the question of, do I respond to comments as Kayla or do I respond as a sexual being. Um, I think this is personal, but I know how I feel. How do you feel, Molly? So I would say that you respond with your pseudonym. And so, for example, in my sense, like if I, or, or you comment with your pseudonym. So if I came to your site and left you a comment, I would write blah, 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 blah. And then I would just put Molly underneath. Um, I wouldn't put Molly's daily kiss. So I'd literally just put Molly when I then comment, then in WordPress, then obviously you'd fill in your name and your URL and your email address. Um, make sure you've set up your gravatar so that it pulls your little gravatar image so that that shows up in people's commenting box. You set that up through WordPress, um, through your site. So if you haven't set up your gravatar profile, do that. Because then if people click on your little icony thing in the comments, it should take you to, it should take them, sorry, should take them to your site. Um, so they read your thing, they go, oh, that's interesting. Who wrote that? Click, and then they come to you. Um, but yes, I would I would sign it Molly, and I think you would just sign it Kayla. Exactly. I think it's much more personal when you do that. It's putting a, a, a name behind the brand that you might be trying to create. Um, even at the Smutlancer, the Smutlancer is a brand, but I comment as Kayla you know, Molly's going to come in as Molly. So yeah, it's, that is our personal opinion, but yes, use, use a name. Okay. Next question. Uh, And this question was one of those questions that led to a broader discussion. The question was any advice on gaining Twitter followers, which we won't get into it, but we did totally start a discussion about shadow banning. But uh, what do you have any advice on gaining Twitter followers? Um, engage. 
in one word is what I would say is engage. So find people who are having similar conversations to yourself and engage in those conversations, like talk back to people. Um, and then, you know, someone else will jump into that. It is not um, uh, a, a magic, it's not magic fairy dust. You're not going to do this and suddenly be like, oh, wow, I got like a thousand followers overnight. It's a slow, but hopefully upward trajectory. Um, however, as a result, you should get a following that have come to you because they actually want to follow you rather than essentially you've bought 10,000 followers, none of whom are actually active and are, are actually of any use to you at all. They don't convert into traffic or anything else because they're literally just almost bots. So um, slower process, but that would be one thing. And also think, look, in, look at things like um, Sex Talk Tuesday and Fet Chat. Um, join in with those like weekly chats because that's a way of getting to like, you can have those conversations, you're answering questions, seeing, follow the hashtag whilst it's going on. You can see what other people are saying and then you can respond to them and be like, oh, that was a really cool idea or, oh yeah, that happened to me once. And then you're like, oh, I made a connection there. They followed me, dum-de-dum-de-dum. So those would be the way I would do it. Look at like who other people are talking to and put out content on Twitter that, is engaging as well. So don't just be if your if your Twitter feed is literally just your blog publishing to Twitter, then I think you're going to struggle because people want more than just that. Um, and so have a, di a, a bit of diversity of your content. You know, if you are, you know, having a nice lunch, you know, pop that on Twitter. People want to. You know, scroll through Twitter and see sort of stuff that's going on. Yes, they want news and they want world stuff and they want all this other stuff, but also like they want to see the new skirt that you just bought or talk about the something that happened to you or whatever. So think about those kinds of things. And I wouldn't like, I want to say I wouldn't obsess over it, but I know we're all trying to move onwards and upwards. Um, but mostly, I try not to look at that number because otherwise I would become like super focused on it. And every now and then I just keep an eye on it and I'm like, oh, it's gone up a little bit. And that's all I need to know. Um, it's gone up a little bit. Um, and I also want a word on shadow banning very quickly. I have, I don't care anymore. I don't even bother to look if I am or I'm not. I haven't looked in months. I don't care. Um, if I am or if I'm not, because there's nothing I can do to change it. So I just continue on to post the content that I am um, happy to post, that I am pleased with, whether that's, um, you know, a picture of my boobs or not, because a lot of people are like, oh, well, if you post like explicit pictures, that gets you shadow banned. I'm not convinced that that's true for to be short, to be honest, because I've certainly posted explicit pictures and not been shadow banned, and then at other times not had that and been shadow banned. There's no rhyme or reason to it. You can't actually affect it. And so I just stopped even caring and I just get on and do my thing because it's completely out of my control. So I would just meh, ignore it. Um, and the only other final thing of is that Twitter does have some quite good analytics. You can actually go into your account and look at the analytics stuff. Um, it can be interesting to have a little look at that each month and be like, 
oh wow that I had no idea that that was my most popular tweet of the month um and just those things can give you a bit of where you're like huh interesting that was uh, perhaps that kind of content is more popular or sometimes weirdly the, the, your most important your most popular tweet of the month is something completely random that you could never reproduce so that in that case it's not useful but yeah have a look at those analytics because that can help inform you about what is popular what isn't blah 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 yes to everything molly said including the I don't give a fuck about being a shadow ban. I'm going to do what I want. Okay, so uh, next question. And I have thoughts, but it's also something I struggle with. I'm going to leave you with this one because I don't, like, this is definitely your your area. Love. And the question is, what, beyond the content and the links that are going into a newsletter, yeah. what do I write? So usually this is not the blurb describing what you're sharing, like a blog post or a whatever. This is like that intro bit where you're like, here's the newsletter. Um, I'm not going to lie. It is awkward for me too. Uh, I struggle with this. The Smutlancer um, newsletter has been on hiatus for several weeks now for multiple reasons, including the rebrand. I'm still working on it. Um, but I do struggle with this. And the best advice I've ever heard, it's not my advice, somebody else gave it, is to almost treat it like a blog post in a way but also for it to be very personal. Like you are talking to the one person who is reading the newsletter. We, I think we get a little like weird with ourselves because we're like, oh, this is 10 people. This is 100 people. This is 1,000 people reading this. I have to talk to all of them at once. Almost like you're standing up on stage with a microphone. Get personal. Talk about yourself. Talk about the creation of the newsletter. Talk about what your week has been like. Whatever you want to talk about that you feel is relevant to your audience and to the newsletter. Sometimes that's not relevant to the newsletter, but you're sharing a part of yourself and creating uh, a connection with people. You can treat that like a microblog. It's it's a paragraph. It's two paragraphs. This is what my week was like. This is what I'm thinking about right now. This is a weird thing that happened. This is a funny thing that happened. Um, but that is some of the best advice I have seen about what to write. Um, and I do think there's something to be said for giving a little personal touch, especially if you are the brand. If they know, if the person who subscribed to their newsletter subscribed because it is you Kayla Lords, you Molly Moore, that's who they're trying to connect to. Um, or if your brand has been very personal in all other aspects, then your newsletter should follow along however your branding goes. But yeah, if you're struggling, treat it like a very small blog post, just a couple of paragraphs and connect on some personal level, whether it relates to the content or not, in a way that your audience would expect from you in all the other ways you're you're creating content for them. I think we get, we get a little like nervous about it because we think it's somehow a different f type of content altogether and it's just a different format. So that's what I would say about that. Okay. This one could absolutely be a whole episode. We are not qualified to give great <laughs> advice. So, but we're going to try because it was a legit question that was asked, which is how do you keep blogging when depression hits? I think you could sub out any mental health issue or any physical uh -huh. illness, but how do you keep blogging when fill in the blank with your thing hits? Um, I have thoughts. Molly, do you have thoughts? I, th I do. I'm, what I'd actually want to say at this point is how that that question in the group created 
a lot of response and a lot of conversation that I think was insightful and useful. And I think to anybody asking that question was super supportive. And I think it's the power of a community like that, that the answers that were given were by so many different people with contributing their different experiences. Um, and so, yeah, that's my biggest thought about that question rather than like just answering it um, was how the kind of extent of the conversation that resulted. Um, oh my goodness, how do you keep blogging when depression hits? I think you have to, um, gosh, you have to just do what's right for you. And actually maybe the answer is you don't mm -hmm. keep blogging if that, like when X hits, or, you know, as we've said, this could be a number of things. And that sometimes maybe the answer is that you just need a break. And whether that break is a day or a week or a whatever, but that maybe gifting yourself time, even if it's back, even if it's taking some time off. So you know what, I'm in a really bad place, or I'm really poorly, or for you know whatever the thing is. Instead of doing my three posts a week, I'm literally just going to do one for the next three weeks or whatever. So whether it's dialing it back or whether it's actually saying I'm going to take a whole week off and do nothing, I think actually maybe gifting yourself. The gift of time uh, is it is my answer. That would be my answer as well. And I think I just want to follow up and give folks a reminder that I think we, even though we know intellectually that growth is not linear, point A to point B, B you get to point B, yay, or success, it is very messy. And so... I, I'm going back to my recent like weird episode I did about everything's a process. The process is long and drawn out and windy and it looks like a giant scribble on a chart. Like it's, it's never straightforward in a, in an arc upward. It is forward and back and stops and starts. And if you at the same time are dealing with uh, mental illnesses, physical illnesses, chronic conditions, whatever, you're gonna have a lot of stop and starts. It doesn't mean you're not gonna to get to where you're trying to get to. It just means it's not It's not gonna be that straight line that you're envisioning. And so you're not failing utterly by just giving into what your body or your mind needs at the time, which is probably rest, which is probably not the guilt of what you're not doing and just taking care of your body so that when, or your mind, so when things are a bit better, you can come back to it and make a little bit more forward progress and then do that until you just can't because the cycle has has come back again um so and i think a lot there's a lot of 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 people who beat themselves up berate themselves mentally for what they're not doing um because they think that it's slowing down or stopping the the progress they're going to make and they'll never find success whatever that means and it success, whatever success means, the progress to get there is super messy for everybody. And so you're not behind and you're not failing. This is just the, that messy scribble instead of the linear, clear, easy line on the graph of what success looks mm -hmm. like. So um, yeah, that my answer would sometimes be sometimes you just don't blog. You, you let the condition you're dealing with play itself out. And when you can, then you do. And when you can't, you don't. 
Okay, next question. And it's funny, in a given month, you can kind of see what were people dealing with? So some people were dealing with some website tech issues. We've been there. Now, clearly, people are dealing with newsletters. Uh, the question was, where should I put newsletter subscription reminders on my website? We did get into, in this discussion, a discussion on pop-ups um, uh-huh. and opinions on pop-ups. But it was the sort of, where's the best place to kind of let people know they can subscribe to my website? And I think the specific question was, should I put it in the footer at the bottom of the site? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, I have thoughts, of course. Molly, I'm sure you have thoughts, though. Just in... Well, you, you go okay. for it. <laughs> well, because I figured even if you don't do newsletters, you uh, you have educated me on reminding people that they need to do the things on your site. <laughs> right. So my I, I, I certainly have opinion about pop-ups. I have an opinion about pop-ups too, and we might disagree here, so it's okay. <laughs> so the question is, where should I put newsletter subscription reminders on my website? In multiple places. So there's no perfect place. Yeah. So... A lot of people like to rely on their sidebar. Sidebar is a great option. But let me tell you something about your sidebar. When somebody is looking at your site on mobile, they will not even remotely get to your sidebar till they've scrolled all the way down your blog post. So if they don't get to the end of your blog post, first of all, they're probably not going to subscribe to your newsletter. But then they have to keep scrolling to maybe get down to that. So you want it in multiple places, not just your sidebar. It can be the closing call to action at the bottom of your blog post. Hey, if you want more stuff, if you want notifications, click here, subscribe to my newsletter. It can be in a menu option. So if people are like, looking through your site and they hit your menu and they're like, oh, there's a newsletter. It can be in the footer. It can be definitely in the sidebar. It can be in all kinds of different places. I would just say it needs to be in more than one place so people have a chance of actually seeing it. Now, if we want to, for a moment, uh, debate (laughs) pop-ups, go for it, Molly. (laughs) So, oh, you know what? I think you think I'm going to say, fucking hell, I hate them, never have them. I mean, uh, (laughs) To be honest, like if I if I if I, I, I kind of wish I could say that, like, uh, but perhaps if I'm being super honest, that is my answer. I, I loathe them. However, we're all trying to do a thing, and you want people to do the thing, whether that's subscribe to your newsletter or whether that's go and read another blog post. And so, I actually think they have their place. What I would say is. Do not have them so that every time somebody goes to a new post or a new page, it pops up again so that people have to dismiss it repeatedly. If whether they, so if they filled it in, then it goes away. But if they haven't, it just literally pops back over everything. It's so annoying. You're just like, oh my God, I've dismissed this. I'd like to stop it. So there's a balance between it getting you what you want, which is somebody to do the thing, and pissing them right the fuck off so they never come back again. Um, and so that's the thing I would say is like, but think about how you want that to work. Like, does it just come up once? Does it come up at a, like at when they first visit? Like, what do you want that to do? There are some quite nice ones now you can get where they kind of like slide in at the bottom as you, so you've read, so if you go to a blog, and you read and you read and you read and kind of as you get to the, like the last paragraph ish 
and you kind of almost heading towards the footer, it will kind of slide in at the bottom there. So it's almost like, and now that you've finished, ta-da! Um, so they're quite nice as well. So yeah, actually I'm not gonna say what Kayla thinks I'm gonna say. Like I actually think they, like, they're useful. Like let's be real about what we're all trying to achieve. Um, just don't use it in such a way that people are then like, oh my God stop this thing yeah the reason we most of us hate pop-ups is because of the same reason why we hate 10 million ads loading on one site and then we can't even read the fucking article because people spam you with it so poor use and sometimes poor design of the pop-up plugin sure but poor use of it is why we fucking hate it but the reality is is that pop-ups work because people need to be told what you want them to do they will not infer it they will not just do it because they love you they would want to do it because they love you but if you don't tell them what you want them to do next they're not doing it so my one other tip oh i got i have to just add one other thing if you put if you have one um for goodness sake go and look and see what it does on a mobile slash on a desktop because sometimes they're almost impossible to dismiss on a mobile and actually you don't want that because that's even worse than people are then go well i can't read anything and i can't make the the bloody pop-up go away mm -hmm. so just always make sure that once you put it on that you go and look on i would say yeah, both an android and a um icult device um because if that's the case if it's almost if it's really hard to dismiss then you might want to look and change how that looks or look for a different one because actually essentially all you're doing is putting a big sheet over your work uh, that nobody can then access yep. So yeah, just put, like play around with them. Make sure that they are they do what you want them to do. They don't actually just make it irrit irritating for the reader. Yep. And and be ruthless with your settings. Like just err on the side of the audience member always, but use them where they make sense to. Okay, next question. This is actually uh, a pretty quick one. Is people will be surprised. Is there a quick and easy way to resize photos uploaded to your blog? And the answer is? Uh, yes, it's a, there's a plugin. I can't remember the name of it. I think there are multiple plugins it, that will do it. I think there are, I'm sure there are multiple plugins. Again, but be, make sure you, you use plugins that are, um, updated and don't use like old plugins that are out of date because they can be um backdoor security backdoors flaws into your site so that's one thing to be careful of um so yes there is like it can be a bit funky watch your settings if you don't that's a good one yeah. know your image sizes that you need them to be yes and that's a lot of it people don't realize is that your theme will have image sizes that it prefers. So like the head, for example, if you have a blog post where there's like the header image and then you put images in the body, make sure you know what that image size needs to be and make the image that size um, that you upload. A lot of them now are approximately, that used to be very common to be 900 by 600, but a lot of it's changed over the last few years and it's more approximately, again, do your work, but more like 1200 by I'm going to go somewhere between 650 and 850 depending on theme and whatever but that's an approximation so um do not upload images that are larger than approximately 1200 by 
let's say 800 um again approximation but you there are many reasons i'm sure we've covered this before uh don't do that it's they're too massive so make them the right size um yeah yeah okay next question which is better a static home page or a blog feed home page <laughs> uh how long's a piece of string what do you like exactly. like this is your but this is your bubba essentially um you know what does your what 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 does what's your front room look like i assume it looks like how you like your front room to look so i think that that is a very personal thing there's no right or wrong way of doing it at, at all and um, you can do both lots and you can do both because you can have basically a kind of magazine, or you can have like uh, mine is I would actually say a hybrid of the two. So it's kind of magazine style, but actually the content essentially changes every time I I upload a new post. Certainly in some of the in some of the spaces. Yep, mine's like um, that too. So it's a kind of hybrid of the two, uh, which I particularly like. But there are definitely very popular bloggers who literally have like the blog feed type homepage. Um, and then there are other people who have very magazine-y type homepage. I think it's an absolutely what feels right for you in a kind of design aspect and shows off your content the best way. Yep. I have nothing to add to that. Okay, next question. What's the best time to send a professional email? Should I avoid sending an email late in the day on a Friday? And then alternately, is there a good time of the month to send pitches, which are also a professional email, but a very specific kind? So of course I have thoughts. Do you have thoughts, Molly Moore? Um, it's, so at first I was like, oh, I'd just send it. Um, and I still kind of feel like maybe that's my answer. Like as somebody who receives pitches now, I go and look at that when I sit down and decide that that's what I want to go and look at. So I don't really notice if that email was sent at 2am, I probably won't even notice, to be honest. And if I did, I wouldn't think anything of it, especially in a world of time zones where we're all operating across um, international spaces. So you could easily send me uh, a pitch at what would be 4 p.m. your time on a Tuesday, which would probably seem fairly reasonable. But of course, that's going to show up to me as turning up. It depends where you were. If you were um, in um, the west of the US, that would be pretty late into my night. Or if you were in Australia, that might even be like 12 hours forward. So I, I don't, I, do you think... It's the big, the problem a, is, is there used to be, and for some people, they will still call this a best practice, that there used to be advice that I saw all the time that said never send an email at five o'clock on a Friday because no editor is going to see it. Well, I think that's old world advice because most of us are connected to our email all the time. Editors, many of them are like me. We're freelance. We might be working on a weekend. We are not, like you said, we're not checking to see what time the email came in. We might have a set time of day or a set day of the week where we're going through those emails. And so uh -huh. it doesn't fucking matter to us when you send them, just send yeah. them. Um, so I think part of that is 
like old best practices that I do still sometimes see bandied about, but it doesn't make any fucking sense to me. Again, also time zones, time zones make a big difference. Um, one of the things that was brought up that I don't think to use, but is good. If you are worried about it, Gmail lets you schedule emails. Some other platforms might let you schedule emails. So that's an option. Um, and the, the offshoot of that question was, is there a good time of the month to send pitches? And somebody had a very specific example where they'd gotten feedback from somebody who said, oh, we just used up our budget for this month on pitches, so pitch later. Um, and that then becomes the answer is not really. It depends. If you establish a relationship with a place that is accepting pitched emails from you, they will have their system and hopefully they'll let you know and you work with that system. In general, if you have an idea, send it when you have it. If it works for you to create a system, several smut lancers in the community have a set system of when they send their pitches because that makes their lives easier, then do it and then modify that system if there's a specific publication that want, you know, is asking for them at different times. The things to know about pitching publications is some of them, not all of them, but some of them work on a very strict uh, editorial calendar that might be scheduled six months in advance. Some accept pitches all the time and then might take six months to publish them. Some are like, I know you and I, where we're like, just fucking send it to us. We'll give you a deadline. We'll get it out when we can. We're, we're working on, on the fly. So there's no single right answer. There is create a system that will work for you to get your pitches out and then modify based on the relationship you cultivate with the site you're, you're pitching. So if they're like, hey, if you would actually pitch your October ideas to us in uh, August, if that's what they tell you, then you know the system. Always pitch a couple months in advance. If they say, oh, you have to get your pitches in and accepted by blah, blah, date of the month, then make sure you get your pitches accepted, blah, blah, date of the month. You are never going to know that, though, until you start getting feedback and or developing those relationships. I think mm -hmm. the some of the sites that are have those specific quirks usually will have some kind of guidelines somewhere so people know because they're not in the business of making this confusing for people, then they don't get the content that they need. Uh, if you're not seeing specific guidelines, just send the damn pitch when you've got it ready, when it works for your system and mm -hmm. let the chips fall where they may. The vast majority of it's not going to matter. The uh, Probably the one time where it does make the biggest difference is if it's a timely one. If you're doing a newsworthy story that in a week or two is going to be old news, you want to send it as soon as you come up with the idea and then you want to follow up if you don't hear because the newsworthiness of that idea will be gone but that's a different kind mm -hmm. of pitching system and that's a different kind of process if you're like doing think pieces and personal essays and stuff like that either use the calendar system that the publication provides or shares with you or tells you about or just fucking send it when it works for you to send it mm -hmm. so we are down to our last question and again you can see what people were wondering about uh when these conversations started last question how do you get the courage up to pitch a major publication? Um, I'm going to go with JFDI. <laughs> Just fucking do it. Just fucking do it, y'all. Like I feel like I know that I'm really oversimplifying it, but essentially, what have you got to lose? The worst. I, I also know that I'd agonise it sure. over like <laughs> hours, but yeah, I also know that that is actually 
the only way at the end of the day is to be like, I'll just do it. Like you'll learn something or which might be that nobody responded to you, in which case I'll try again next month. I will try a different idea. I'll take that idea that I've gotten to try it with someone else. The absolute worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to ignore the fuck out of you. A, what's yeah. going to seem like a worse thing, but is actually less worse, is if they respond with a personal rejection. Here's why I want you to celebrate a personal rejection. Editors yeah. don't have fucking time, y'all. If they're taking the time to email you and go, thank you for sending this idea to me, but it's not going to work. You you ranked high enough for them for them to respond yeah. to you. And the best rejection I ever got made my whole fucking day uh, was, was it Bitch Media? I can't remember who it was. It was when I was still pitching a lot of places. They were like, you know, we actually, the editor was like, I really like this idea, but we don't need this right now. So when you have other ideas, please send them to me. It was a no. It was the best fucking no of my life, y'all. Yeah. Um, so the absolute worst that's going to happen is you don't ever hear back from them. Nobody's going to uh -huh. call you up, Skype you, DM you, email you, pointing and laughing. No editor worth their fucking salt is in a, a Zoom call somewhere laughing at the pitches they've received. Now, let me let me back that up. I have given side eye and a little bit of shade to pitches where you didn't read my guidelines, you were clearly a little too yeah. puffed up on yourself, and it was shit. But the earnest pitch of a writer who's like, I really want to write for this. I've got an idea. Correct. Nobody's laughing at you. So I need yeah. you to be brave for 30 seconds. The 30 seconds it takes yeah. to hit fucking send, send the idea. So, yeah. and you never know. They might say yes. You, you'll get, you get no yeses if you never send it. Nobody gets this. Mm -hmm. Nobody is going to tap you on the shoulder and pick you. Nobody's going to show up and go, Ooh, please. Like that in this world of the amount of people, the amount of hungry writers and content creators, you've got to put yourself forward and keep putting yourself forward and perfecting your pitches, right. and perfecting your ideas and learning the voice and style of the places you really want to write for and keep doing it until either you get a yes or until you're like, okay, maybe this isn't for me. I'm going to go try it somewhere else. But yeah, worst thing that happens is nothing. So mm -hmm. yeah, what Molly said, just fucking do it. Okay, so we suck at rapid fire, um, but we did manage to get through 16 questions in one mailbag. Yep. Those 16 questions came through one channel of the the Smart Lancers com Slack community yep. in 20 days. And those were, those, mm -hmm. all those questions, there were actually two other topics that were discussion topics. They weren't framed as a question. So technically, I guess you'd say 18, but... Every single one of those had multiple respondents, had a lot of encouragement, had a lot of sympathy, had a lot of, oh yeah, I've been there. Oh yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Um, there, I don't think there's ever been a question that got ignored or just didn't get answered. I think even when we're like, shit, I don't know the answer, somebody will go in and go, I don't know the answer. <laughs> um, and it's, this is the kind of stuff. This is just a sampling. So yes, this entire episode is a massive commercial for the Smut Lancers community. And this, you can get access to the Slack group at the $5 level. You don't have to put in a shit ton of money. I'm telling you, when I started many, many years ago now, 
the amount of value in just getting answers to some of these questions or knowing I had a space to ask these questions and not be laughed at because nobody's fucking laughing at you here, I promise, way worth more than $5. Like, you get one of these, Mm -hmm. like, you get your pitch thing accepted, you might have made $100 on content uh, for spending $5 to ask a question. I mean... I recognize not everybody has the money and that's why we offer all the content we do for free. So you don't have to have money to grow as a smut lancer and start making money. But if you've got something to invest in your smut lancer future career plans, goals, $5 minimum gets you all of this information, gets you better information, gets you multiple perspectives, gets you the freedom to just ask the questions and know you're in a safe space to just ask your fucking question. Right, and come as we said before, come along for mm-hmm. a month. Yep. And you could be like, you know what, it wasn't for me, or I'm going to go and I might come back next month. You know, nobody is going to mind. Yeah, no, we don't take it personal. We totally get it. Everybody's got their own situations. Um, I'm not going to lie. I have, We have gotten a little bit of shade from people who decided they don't like us anymore, and they've said, well, I give my advice for free. Well, that's lovely. I've been giving free advice since 2012, so... That I still give free advice, but I recognize that I can't give the amount of free advice that that this one episode entails. I can't do every day and I can't do for everybody who wants it. I don't have that kind of time. That's all I would be doing. So yeah. the nice thing is what the Patreon community does for us is it frees us up to be able to do these other things that we can then put out into the rest of the world as free content. And hopefully we give back in value what they've given us in value so yeah we do uh, this is we answer these questions for free because we don't think you should have to pay for access to all information all you know it's the internet y'all that you should be able to get some good content good information without having to pay but if you want to take it a step further if you want to go deeper if you just want a place where you feel good smut lancer community is it patreon.com slash the smut lancers with an s uh uh, we have linked it in all kinds of places uh it is in the show notes it's in several spots on the homepage. we're trying to get better at tweeting the link out we're working on it um so yeah come join us and yeah try it for a month five bucks and if it's not the place for you cool we totally get it if it is you know, welcome, join us. We, we've got a really Mm -hmm. good vibe in the community and it's, it's a very positive space to be in. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, that was way longer than I thought this episode was going to be, but here we are again. (laughs) Uh, next week I am on my lonesome and I don't know what kind of fever dream, uh, content will come out of my face, but we'll find out. Uh, and then Molly will be back on her lonesome the week after and then we'll just repeat the cycle because we like a good process we like a good system that we can follow um thank you Uh for joining us we hope we helped we hope we gave you some inside information maybe you uh didn't have before uh feel free to follow us on all the social places we're the smut lancer everywhere um and yeah that's it for us bye Mm y'all bye 
Thanks for listening to the Smut Lancer podcast. If you like what you just heard, please leave a review on your favorite podcast app and check out the blog, past episodes, and other great information at thesmutlancer.com. You can follow the Smut Lancer on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. It's at the Smut Lancer in all three places. Or follow Eroticon on Twitter or Instagram at Eroticon UK, all one word, Eroticon UK. For more tips, tricks, and help from your fellow Smut Lancers, join us at patreon.com slash the Smut Lancers. Thanks for listening. Let's do this again next week. Mm-hmm.